guys, I'm Pragya. And I'm Charlotte, and welcome back to the Breakout Room Podcast. This episode is part four of our series, Eight Voices, where we help you create the life you want by sharing unique stories of passionate students who are pursuing their own dreams. We're welcoming guest speakers from a wide variety of colleges, majors, and backgrounds to show how you can use college as an opportunity to elevate your personal goals and ultimately achieve success. We will be running this series all throughout July, and we're releasing new episodes twice a week, every Sunday and Wednesday. So follow us on Instagram and whichever podcast platform you're listening on to make sure you don't miss out on all the content. Today, we are so excited to have our friend Logan on our podcast. Logan is a second-year political philosophy, politics, and law student at UVA on the pre-law track. He brings such a unique and positive mindset to this podcast. So he actually used to be a competitive chess player and received third place nationally, and that has really shaped the way he thinks about the world. Logan is very self-motivated and passionate about learning more about the past and the present and using that to make the world a better place for the next generation. We also discuss mental health and stress and how important putting yourself first and being happy is. So if you want to be inspired to achieve great things and look at life in a different way, then keep listening. All right, Logan, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, Yes, Uh, my name is Logan Mercer. I go to the University of Virginia. Uh, I just finished my first year, so I'll be a second year in the fall, and I'm looking to major in political philosophy and law, PPL. So let's get right into the interview and start with the beginning of your journey. What was it like growing up, and did you have any big dreams when you were younger? Uh, So my parents divorced when I was really, really young, so only three months old. So I grew up with primarily just my mom as my uh, caretaker with my grandparents helping out. Uh, And so she, she was an artist. I, I grew up really with a very laid back like regimen, right? Like uh, I went to a little private school in Birmingham, Alabama, but because of my mom's upbringing, she went to the University of Virginia herself. Uh, as I mentioned, she's an artist. Uh, it allowed me to really explore and find out what I liked myself without having the pressures of whether it be socioeconomic uh, restraints or even, you know, as a straight white guy, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing fairly well in that category as well. Uh, so I just got to figure out what I enjoyed to do. Yeah. So a b- big dreams when I was younger. Oh, I was really want to be an astronaut because I love space. I thought <laughs> space was the coolest thing in the world. I mean, it's like there's so much of it and we are so little. And I'm like, I want to I want to go out there and I want to find stuff, you know, because um, I love playing outside as a kid. I love, you know, digging in the dirt and playing with rocks and worms and fish Um and and so I, I you know I dream big like why not try to leave the 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 planet and go to the moon Mars go see black holes but as I grew older I realized that that takes a lot of physics uh, and a lot of math and I I did not like physics very much so I uh, I grew away from that so then my next thought was okay well I'll just be president that sounds nice uh <laughs> i i always just remember casual complaints from my mom and her friends because she'd always have friends over for small parties and, and such and they'd be complaining about the bush administration and then when i was what was i, I was seven i must have been uh when obama was elected i remember sitting in the in the kitchen in my in my house that i was living in at the time with my mom and we're watching this, this tiny tv it's maybe 35 inches and mom was just sitting there crying just looking at the television and I, I didn't really understand the 
you know, weight of that moment. I, I guess I still don't really understand the weight of that moment just because it's so second nature to me as Obama being, um, you know, the first president that I you know, fully am cognizant of. But even as a, as a very white, you know, quite well off family, it, it still struck a chord. So what was your high school experience like and what were you involved in? I went to the same elementary school and high school as my mom did and then moved to uh, Indian Springs School, which is just south of Birmingham. It's a day, day boarding school. And so it was very small, only 330 kids in the entire school and 74 in my graduating class. It always felt very close to home, not only geographically because it was 12 miles away from my house, but I always knew growing up I was going to go there because that's where my mom went and I had just fallen in love with the school. Much like my mom's raising habits, it was very laid back. Uh, there was not, not really a dress code. And while it was a top-end preparatory school, their their um, approach to education was very much seen through their motto, which in Latin is discare vivendo, but in English is uh, learning through living. So I was involved in... So I, I love sports. So I always played soccer growing up, and then I got into basketball in high school. So I did a lot of that, played varsity. Uh, I played a lot of chess. Um, I stopped playing chess around junior, senior year of high school. But before that, I ended up winning. I sound like I'm flexing here. Uh, <laughs> I, I ended up winning uh, five individual state chess championships, um, and then two with my school, and then freshman year of high school, I got third in the country for my the U seventeen hundred division at nationals. Wow! So it was pretty cool. I was I was invited to go play to qualify to try to qualify for the U.S. Youth Olympic team for chess, uh, and I felt uh, just short of that. But chess has been integral to not only my education, but I, I think my personality and the way I see the world. Because I would like to think that every kid should learn how to play chess. Wait, explain more. So chess is such a beautiful game for its simplicity. And while it's not as simple as, as a game such as checkers, right? Anyone can learn how to play chess and anyone can master the game of chess, but you don't need to master chess to understand the values and lessons you can get from knowing how to play a game like chess, right? So as a kid, chess can teach you a variety of things. One is patience, right? Um, you're forced to sit at a board and concentrate on a set of decisions in front of you that only you can control, right? So that is already patience, responsibility, and critical thinking, right? Because if you make a mistake, you are the only one to blame for that mistake. Mm -hmm. And a lot of children, myself included, even at you know college age, um, as you know, like the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until you're, you're 24, 25, which deals, is the part of your brain that deals with long-term uh, decision making. And in chess, if you're a novice, you just think, oh, well, I want to move my knight here. I want to move my pawn here because then, oh, I'll attack this pawn or this this uh, other piece. But as you get better, you realize you need to think ahead, right? Yeah. And you need to try to come up with these variations that, you know, mathematically make sense in your mind, but you can't actually play out on the board because you can't, <laughs> you know, just start touching pieces um, willy nilly. And I think a lot of kids failed that test. I mean, I, I don't want to say these days because I imagine the past generations struggle with it too. It's just by nature of being a kid, people just, you know, you want to go, go, go. You don't try to think a whole lot about the decisions that you're making, but um, anything from like trivial, oh, like, you know, what am I going to do today? Or, you know, more, more consequential decisions like drinking or uh, 
uh, nicotine or, you know, smoking weed, like these kinds of long-term decisions are like, where are you going to go to college? Should I study for this? What, like, what book should I read? What should I wear? A lot of these decisions from the trivial to the more consequential just kind of fly by. And we don't really think about what these decisions mean. I'm not saying that these are all inherently bad decisions and that we should, you know, always act like a, like a computer because that's that takes away any kind of human aspect to our lives. But I think taking a step back every once in a while and trying to reorganize your plan uh, for the day, for the week, for the month, for the year, for your life, like what is your end goal here, right? And in chess, it is you want to checkmate the opponent's king. Yeah. You are trying to, and on the way, you might have to take a couple pieces. You might have to sacrifice some of your own pieces to better your position to then checkmate the opponent's king. But in life, what are your goals? And that might be, I want to make a lot of money. Um, I want to have kids. I want to do this and that. And for a lot of people, it's just, I want to be happy, right? And ironically here is that eventually with chess, this became such a strenuous task for me to play competitively. For me to get to the next, next level, I would have to study just tremendous amounts of hours a day that I wasn't willing to commit to, is I found myself not being happy playing chess anymore at a competitive level. And so I decided, well, <laughs> my end goal here is, you know, my checkmate, my checkmating of the king, per se, is to stop playing chess, right? Now, I that doesn't mean that I'm... I'm just going to forget everything that I that, that I learned while playing chess. You know, I'm not going to be as good as I used to be, but I can still take the lessons that I learned from when my mom taught me how to move a pawn when I was just three years old, right? Yeah. Um, and I think any kid can learn those lessons, right? Like, think about what you're doing. Because you know, at three or four, obviously, it's you know impossible to explain to a child that there's anything outside of, you know, your, your purview. But kids growing up, from like six on, I think that there's a lot of intellectual wealth that can be, that is just like ripe soil ready to be uh, sown for a variety of reasons. So I think every kid should learn how to play chess. Um, <laughs> but like, so what advice would you give to people about college decision making? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I... I would say I'm very far from an expert on this. I would like to begin by saying I think that the college admissions process is horribly flawed and needs to be reformed. People always like to discuss affirmative action without taking into account uh, other forms of affirmative action like uh, collegiate athletic scholarships or legacy um, admissions uh, that are in effect affirmative action for (laughs) rich white kids. But from a personal perspective, not falling too much into policy, I think your first priority should be just try to find happiness, right? And I would describe myself as a positive nihilist, right? So I, I would say, you know, I, I don't think there's a God. I'm not sure that there's really any inherent meaning in the universe. And so while some people will look at that and they'll say, well, you know, why are we here then? Like, why why do I try at succeeding in life? Why do I try all these things? If, you know, when I die, I just return to the soil. And if you look at it that way, it's fine. You're not necessarily wrong, but I I find a more uplifting and a more pragmatic approach to it is like, look, like we're here, right? And all we have are each other. And so all we have are the interactions with each other. So why not make it pleasant? You know, why not make it fun? Why not make it something good 
to give to the people that we care about, whether that's our, our friends, our significant others, or our children, or our parents, or whoever, our community members, why not make it pleasant? And I, I think that finding what makes you happy in both the short and long term is the top priority. Because I, I imagine that when you are happy, because I, I would say I've been happy 99% of my life, and I'm very grateful for that. I have, I have not been plagued with, um, again, it sounds like I'm flexing. It's really like I, I've not had any sort of great trauma in my life that so many people have. And so I, I've just been a generally happy person. And so I, I want to dedicate my life to making other people happy or, you know, not necessarily uh, <laughs> for any kind of great like benefit to myself in the sense that I'm not, I don't want to be applauded for that is just, I love seeing other people happy. I, I don't think there's enough of it in the world. I, I think that uh, there are so many other stresses in life that if I can be in any way on any given day, the reason why someone smiles, then I have succeeded for that day. Right. Um, so when, when you are looking at colleges, find what makes you happy. And if that means I want to, I will be happy if I go to Harvard and I study this and I get this job and you're sure of that, then go for it. I would then say, <laughs> what happens if that does not work out? <laughs> you know, do not throw all of your pebbles into the same basket and then find out that there's a hole in that basket. And that hole might not even be your fault. It's just shit happens, right? And you put all of your happiness into something that is not yourself, then something might happen to that thing and you might find yourself spiraling out of control because of that, you know, because in the end, all we have is, is ourselves. You know, you can have a great friend, uh, you can have a great family, you can have great supportive friend groups, you can have a fantastic girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, whatever. And, you know, you, you could end up never breaking up. You could end up never having falling outs with your family or friends, but sometimes it happens. And sometimes you're alone in life and it's scary. Life is, life is terrifying. And so you've got to find what makes you happy independent of other people and other things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so while I find happiness in making other people happy, right. I, I've also last year came, came into a, a time where I, I was so sad. I really couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't really, you know, make people happy. Um, whether that was my girlfriend at the time or just friends of mine or, you know, my sister or my family. And that was then a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I thought, well, I'm not making them happy. Well, that then makes me more sad. Right. And then I, you know, and then less inclined to get out of bed because I'm more sad. And then it just spirals out of control. It's circular. Um, and so I had to find something else that, that makes me happy. And so I found an outlet in like learning how to play guitar and reading a lot more. I mean, as, as we speak, I have, dozens of books around me some of which I've read some of which I'm, I'm gonna get to so while academics are fantastic I would always press to learn as much as you can about whatever you're interested in I would not prioritize going out of your way for a fancier diploma if that's gonna make you less happy so do you want to go more into your major and why you picked it, what you're passionate about studying, what you want to pursue in the future? Oh, okay, so this is a bit of an anticlimactic answer because I'm not actually sold on PPL. It's just that when people ask me, I say that because A, it sounds nice, <laughs> and B, I am truly interested in it. 
Um, but whenever I talk to, you know, my advisor or someone who's more knowledgeable on the uh, programs is, you know, I have many options with this. When you're going to law school, there's no set curriculum really to prepare you, you know, like it's probably good if you know, <laughs> you know, basic civics and American government history uh, and you've read the constitution, but uh, you know, you could, you could do pre-med and end up going to law school or you could study theater probably and uh, end up going to law school. So I, it just so happens to be that I just really like history and I really like law and I like political theory. So I was thinking, well, PPL seems to be a good fit. Um, I know it's a very small program, so I might not even qualify uh, and get into that program, which would be fine. Like, and then I, I assume I'll be applying to multiple different political philosophy related majors. But if none of that happens, then I'll probably just major in history or something or English. I'm not super passionate about what my major is because in ten years, no one's gonna care really. It's it's gonna be one or one line or a couple words in like yeah. a biopic or a or a memoir especially with something like law school where it's like I could literally do anything um like my or you can do the med, medical school too like my aunt is uh she's currently head of the NICU at Stanford also a Stanford professor and before she went to medical school I think she majored in American studies hmm. which is not medical in any way <laughs> so uh yeah so I, I would say i'm you know anti in, as an anticlimactic answer i'm not super passionate about exactly what my major is now about studying in general yes oh my goodness so i have always loved history i used to be a math guy right um and then i got to calculus and i was like i don't <laughs> like math anymore um <laughs> like i just it's just not for me but i that love of numbers has transitioned into dates and uh in statistics and, and stuff like that and while when you're in history class you always hear no I don't, I don't care if you know the exact dates right i'm not trying to i'm not trying to drill you on the exact dates i just want you to get the big ideas of that well i, I like to put both of those together right so while you know it's fun to know like you know when waterloo was or when the magna carta was signed like that that's not really why i love history but it just helps my brain to better understand the big pictures by knowing those numbers. Right. And that plus my love of infographics and statistics really like helps push me into a like public policy law interest. Right. So I, I, I love constitutional law. I fell in love with constitutional law senior year of high school after taking one constitutional law class with uh, Wainwright was her name. Uh, and she actually graduated from high school in like 86 or something, but she was super cool, like five feet tall. She's got pixie blonde hair. Uh, I think she was head of like the Yale, like what theater school, drama school or something like, but then also worked for Goldman Sachs. Like she had done a bunch of different stuff and she was eccentric and weird in like the best way. And I always knew I really liked, you know, presidents and government and stuff. Um, I have a very vivid memory of looking at uh, a, a placemat at my grandparents' house of all the presidents on the front and then all the first ladies on the back. And my grandparents used to take me to all the presidents' houses, you know, all the founding fathers' houses like Monticello and Mount Vernon and and the such. And they always like to tell the story of how uh, the person would be giving a tour and someone would ask a question and the guy wouldn't know it, but I'd know it. And so I'd answer for for him. And by the end of the tour, the guy at Monticello was like, oh, if you have any other further questions, just ask the <laughs> six-year-old. Uh, he'll, he'll answer for you. 
Um, because I, I, I just loved it so much. I thought it was so cool. And still to this day, the U.S. presidency is my favorite uh, Jeopardy topic. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I found I found a real love of constitutional law and Supreme Court cases. Growing up, I was always wondering, well, you know, the president's super big, powerful guy. Congress seems to be super big and powerful. But the Supreme Court, we're just like they don't have any, you know, quote unquote, real power. Like they can lay down these massive opinions that everyone's like oh my gosh now gay marriage is legal now we can't discriminate against uh transgender lgbtq um people oh uh interracial marriage is now legal right um but they don't have really any real enforcement power and so we're just expected to just believe what they say i was wondering like how like how like how how have we for 200 and plus years just been like yeah like we'll just on a whim just believe what they say like they're the weakest they're the weakest branch you know and not despite that despite our judicial system having like you know understandably like the the least amount of power of the three branches especially compared to like europe and uh britain uh where their judicial systems are, are a bit different Despite that, the courts have been the number one method of getting through some of the most, like, you know, progressive people wouldn't say, oh, wow, like, you know, progressive it could be a, a polarizing thing. But I mean, like, some of the like most important moments in our history have been through the courts, you know, and that's seen throughout the civil rights era. And and yet they don't have any real like political power, like like they're appointees, which is absolutely crazy to me. Um, but I find it so interesting. And so I, but I was most drawn to some of these opinions that said the most in such few words. You know, is that how can you take a document like the Constitution, which is forty five hundred words max, and create an entire legal and judicial system? based on those 4,500 words. Now, of course, there are federal statutes and ordinances here and there or whatever, and now we have this giant law book that you have to follow. Uh, and that's not even to mention state laws and stuff. But at the core of, of everything, there are these 4,500 words, right? Which have somehow, <laughs> despite you know all the mistakes and you know terrible things going on today that really should have been fixed 200 years ago, but but despite all that has still survived and prevailed through through so much just 4500 words based on all men are created equal now obviously the follow through on that has been an, an another issue but the ideas the egalitarian nature of, of the document is beautiful and so constitutional law i really loved but it's not really something you practice yeah. right unless you're a supreme court justice or a, a professor of any kind so i i then uh thought okay well what else do i care about well, climate change is just absolutely terrifying. Uh, so I interned at a uh, environmental litigation group, really what they're called, environmental litigation group in Birmingham, uh, and really loved it. I thought it was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, and this comes in the face of my dad, who lives in New Orleans. I, he, I've never lived with him, but I visit him a lot growing up in the summer. He, he always it was like, he's a lawyer. He's a maritime defense lawyer down there. And he's like, don't become a lawyer. Never become a lawyer. I'll talk to friends of mine's dads who are lawyers and they'll say, Oh, you want to be a lawyer? Well, I have one piece of advice for you. Don't. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> ha 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 ha. I've heard it all before. You know, like 
I understand. I understand why you should not be a liar, right? (laughs) However, however, it might be the inner masochist in me. Uh, It might be, you know, the, the, the inner egalitarian in me of like wanting to make the world a better place. It absolutely probably is that, but I want to do it nonetheless because I think there's a lot of good that could be done. Um, And so if I don't do environmental law, I'd want to do something like civil rights law. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of the issues we have today are, you know, we have solutions for, we have, the doors open for us to walk through. We're just not doing it because there's no follow through, right? Like we have the documents that say, you know, no discrimination on the basis of sex, um, race, gender, whatever. But we still have to have these Supreme Court decisions and we still have to have discussions in, you know, breakout rooms and in classrooms about whether we should give people rights and I, or whether people matter, like whether people are worth, you know, living. So I, uh, so that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I want to study. I, I, I mean, I, it, it, it spawns from an, an innate love of people and hearing people's stories right which is what supreme court case that's what cases are right it's it's court cases are it's people's stories right and then you blow them up and you put them into legal terms and then you decide well is this should we keep this or do we not like is this person bad should they be thrown in jail or not um i might be really uh you know dumbing it down but i it, I think it comes from an innate love of people. Despite how frustrating people can be sometimes, I think it comes from a deep love of people and what people can be. Because at our best, we are like the most successful species this planet has ever seen that has created absolutely beautiful art, beautiful communities. You know, I can't believe it's not butter, Diet Coke, which people hate sometimes, cinnamon raisin toast, books, like, nike clothing which i understand sweatshops are bad but also i look really good in the shirt like there's so much good that we have created at our best right at our worst we are also destroying the lives that we have created including this planet but why not fight for that good and that's that's what i want to study i want to study people in law and i want i want i want the world to be a better place yeah i love how passionate about it you are so people just do it to do it, but like I think you really care about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I always, <laughs> I always joke with my mom is that is that our biggest fault is that or that we care too much, and and you hear that from people, and it's cliche at this point, but it, like really, I my mom has said that her her biggest mistakes in life have been in an effort to either protect or try to make a decision to think to make me happy because it was just me and her for a while or to make her other children happy because now she has a new batch of children. And while those might not be the most fiscally sound decisions or um, I don't want to say morally right. I don't want to indict, indict my mom on anything here. Um, But while they might not be considered the best decisions by, you know, a variety of standards, she does not necessarily regret them because she does it for people that she loves so being passionate about it is a double-edged sword you know it it leaves you to be the most vulnerable those most vulnerable parts show which within itself is a double-edged sword right like like you 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 show yourself to those that you care about which allows for like a deeper uh set of intimacy and 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 care but at the same time it, it allows you to be hurt in ways that you never would have imagined
if you had not opened up in such a way. What advice would you give our listeners in trying to find what they're passionate about? And then what would you recommend to our listeners about chasing their own dreams and actually taking action? Yeah, um, I've, I've had a lot of casual conversations with people about, okay, so I, I recently deleted Tinder, but I had Tinder for for some months there. Um, and the conversations I have with people, which sometimes wouldn't stick, because I guess a lot of times on Tinder, you don't expect people to be like, oh, what do you like even? Like a lot of guys don't even get there. It's just very much <laughs> like, what's your Snapchat and then instant dick, dick pic and then instant blocked, right? Um, but I, I was genuinely interested, you know, what kind of music do you listen to? Like, what are your interests? What do you want to contribute to society? Because <laughs> like, that's like that, like we're all doing it together. Like whether we don't know each other or not, like we are all trying to do the same thing, right? We are all at a very instinctual level just trying to be happy and just trying to get get through our days, right? So mm-hmm. I so I ask people, you know, like, like, well, what do you like? And they'll say, oh, you know, like The Office or, oh, I, I like uh, eating. And I'm like, okay, well, those are, those are very like, like base level things. But yeah, but like what makes you happy? What brings you joy, right? And, and the next level will be, it's like hurting cats here. Uh, the next level will be, oh, well, I, I like children. You know, I, I'm a babysitter. I really like uh, helping children. I like helping kids. I'm like, oh, okay, so you want to be like an educator? No, I want to be a social worker. All right, perfect. Like my mom wants to be uh, a social worker soon. She's going back to school for that. So like, you know, like, do you read? Well, no, I, I don't read. I, I just don't know what to read, right? Uh, and I'm like, well, you know, read what you like. Well, I don't know what I like. Well, <laughs> you're gonna have to figure that out, right? I can't tell you what you like. I can tell you what I like, and maybe you like that too. But <laughs> the only way you're gonna figure out what you like and what makes you happy is if you try different things. And some people, more than others, are given the opportunities to try to figure out what those things are early. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, my mom, I was very much a kid where I was like, I want to learn how to play the trumpet, and mom's like, All right, I'll get you trumpet lessons. Boom, bought a trumpet, went to trumpet lessons. Three weeks later done did not want to play trumpet anymore i'm now 18 wish i had continued doing it because trumpets are awesome and i have a immense love of music like like oh my gosh like i just absolutely adore music um but i should talk about it for hours this should be a music podcast anyway so but like another thing you know i like playing soccer so i i kept playing soccer oh i try to want to i want to try to play baseball played baseball for a season hated it hated it on the second day but you know what and here's the important thing here is that you don't try things to say you tried them or you don't try things uh on on an instinct you know you should follow through but don't force yourself to be miserable you know like i went to baseball and i thought it was kind of boring but my mom made me keep going because you know there's there's a you know there's a certain dignity and having to get up and stop doing homework and go practice for two hours and then travel on the weekends and stuff but you know that's one thing but like if you're genuinely like depressed and you're like this is absolutely horrible by all means please please pull out but when you try new things it also shouldn't be based on skill level right because we're all given different gifts in this in this life and you should really try to perfect the ones that you're just very very good at you know but when you're not good at something, that doesn't mean that you should just absolutely give it up. You know, I, I think an air of humility is also um, ideal. 
that you need to learn very early. And I wish I had learned earlier. I was a little hyper competitive cocky bastard for so long. Um, and I'm so glad I am not there anymore. Um, like I would lose one chess game and just be on the floor bawling. And my, one of my best friends, Spencer has a anecdote of uh, me crying in this like library of some church. And I was like, Bobby Fisher never lost, but like Bobby Fisher never lost. And Spencer was like, what are you talking about? Of course, Bobby Fisher lost. The irony there is that I still won that tournament. Like I was <laughs> like, I, I, I lost that one game, but I was so far ahead. I had already won the tournament. It was just, I, I would get hyper-focused on these little tiny issues that don't matter. So w- when you try something, don't try something to be the best at it. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're just like actually really good and you're like, oh, I'm a prodigy in soccer and I'm going to be like the next Ronaldo. Sure, go for it. You know, like work your, work your butt off. Um, but when, when you do hit that wall, because statistically you will hit that wall, <laughs> um, you, you know, do it because it makes you happy. You know, like I don't play competitive chess anymore because it's stressful um, and it takes a lot of time out of my day. But what I do do is whenever someone wants to play chess with me, I'll play with them. And I don't play with them just to like show them up and be like, yeah, I'm better than you. I used to do this and that. But, you know, to have a conversation, learn what they like, you know. Oh, oh, you know, why do you learn how to play chess? Oh, it's like, for instance, mom's an artist. Uh, she's <laughs> she's not like a fancy classical artist or anything. She makes... Uh, what I what I'd imagine to be kind of funky animals wearing various clothings in different settings. It, it's acrylic on wood, right? Um, and some of it's really funky, and I like a lot of it. And so I'll go outside and I'll paint with her. And I've been painting with her since I guess we don't paint outside anymore. But I've been painting with her since I was like seven or eight. So some of my best memories growing up with just me and her were in our was was in our basement in her studio slash my Xbox room. And I would take a break from playing Xbox and she'd have music on and it'd probably be like Led Zeppelin or Blondie or the Kinks or so like Marvin Gaye or whatever, whatever it was, Aretha Franklin. And we just paint. Now, side note, I am a terrible painter. Like I, (laughs) I, I, you could, I could paint something and my four-year-old sister could paint something and you could probably not tell them apart. Like <laughs> they are, they are one and the same. Uh, I I did not inherit inherit my mom's artistic skills, and that's okay. But it made you happy. It, yeah, like I enjoy it. I I find happiness in turning on music and just letting you know the knife or the paintbrush just stroke uh, over the canvas or wood or wall, whatever I'm doing, uh, and just be secluded in my own thoughts, you know, allow myself to process what has gone on today, what has gone on this past week, you know, what, what, you know, what mistakes have I, do I think I could work on, you know, did I accidentally bark at one of my friends while playing Xbox or, you know, at the mall yesterday that I I regret and I want to talk to them about, um, oh, maybe I should have started hiring for this test, but it's not, it's not, a wave of anxiety hitting me while this happens. It, it is just me processing and allowing the paintbrush and the music to wash away, to dilute those kinds of fears and anxieties through a medium that is, you know, not good. I'm not going to sell it, but, <laughs> but it, it is something, right? It is something I can hold and say, this is what I did today. 
that I can show people, you know? And, and if I don't do that, then I can say, oh, well, I worked on myself today. You know, I can make a Facebook post about it or an Instagram post. Oh, I'm going to be better. But, it, you know, it, it doesn't seem like you're being productive. It, it just sounds like you're talking to yourself, you know. But if, if I paint, it is a medium from which I can extrapolate what goes on in my head onto a, a piece of wood. And, and maybe that's not the best medium for me to do that. You know, maybe I could write a 20 page paper on how I feel and that would be a more articulate version of what's going on in my head. Right. Rather than a bunch of blue and black uh, or red spots on a, on a canvas, but <laughs> the canvas takes less mental power out of it and lets me just chill out. Right. It, it allows me to, relax instead of build up that anxiety instead of creating this volcano of anxiety and thoughts and you know oh what if i did this i should have done this instead it allows me to just realize you know that's okay that's in the past and tomorrow is a better day and tomorrow is another chance for me to make someone's day yeah Aww. did you ever have any fears about pursuing the things you wanted and how do you think our listeners can overcome their own fears about the future and just fears in general yeah fears fear is a tricky thing i've uh <laughs> on a lighter note i am scared of being alone in space that's also another reason why i didn't want to become an astronaut uh <laughs> as i grew older because i listened to space oddity by david bowie and i was petrified i was like oh i just can't <laughs> also being alone in the middle of the ocean very scary very but scary. when it comes to more in not maybe not intrinsic, but like internal like fears of self doubt uh, and anxiety. I absolutely understand, and getting a little little uh, self inflective here uh, is that for the majority of my life, I have always been touted, whether by my mom, like my, my grandfather, my teachers or my peers, as like, oh Logan, yeah, like oh my, he's like happy all the time, he's confident. Um, he's tall, you know, uh, he's pretty, he's got nice hair, you know, he, he's smart. Like he's, you know, he's got it like, oh, he's going to do big things, which I'm very honored by, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I appreciate that I have so many people that, uh, support me. Uh, but at the same time, I, I then have instilled in myself this sort of standard that is almost, like never, never fulfilling, you know, like no matter what I do, I, I, I feel like, well, you know, I, I just could be better. It's not like I had a mom or a grandfather or anyone saying, oh, you have to be the best at this. You know, they've always said, you know, prioritize your happiness above anything else. You know, like you should, you should aim high because you have the gifts to aim high and you have the support to, to do whatever you want. So you should do it, but, you know, make sure you're not happy. I, my mom was never the mom to take me out in the parking lot and call me a loser because I lost a chess game. <laughs> she was the mom to have Chick-fil-A and, <laughs> at the door, whether I won or lost. And, you know, she'd be happy if I'm happy. Like, it's no. <laughs> uh, so it, uh, I'm not sure where that comes from. Like, so I, I've, I've recently come to better terms with myself on that fact. I really struggled with that last year when graduating high school because I've never been super motivated to do what I'd call menial schoolwork, right? Like if I'm not learning anything in class, like you're not going to you're not going to get me to study for that test. 
like i i'm sorry like i i i just don't care enough like i just don't care enough I, i'm agreeable with you i love the university of virginia but i've i've learned more from reading books in my free time than i have in class <laughs> there are some classes where it's like i've actually learned a lot something more for taking those classes but i'd say half of my classes have been a waste of time <laughs> um and money but i need the diploma to move forward in society so here we are um but when it comes to fears when it comes to fears i would say that you need to do some self-searching and first identify what those problems are and not shy away from them and it, it is it is absolutely terrifying hence you know being fear but the more that you're able to talk about it and the more you're able to realize that you're not alone in, you know, what you're feeling on the inside, whether it's just a voice in the back of your head randomly at 3 a.m. before a test, or if it's an everyday struggle to get out of bed, to do your schoolwork, to, you know, do laundry, to, 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 to stop watching Netflix and to actually, you know, take out the garbage. Like you need to know that you're not alone. And, you need to know that, you know, when I say, you know, it's going to be okay. And then people say, oh, well, don't say it's going to be okay. Cause you know, like there are people with actual, you know, like you know, clinical impression or all these other things where, you know, it's not necessarily going to be okay. Like this is something you're just going to live with. So I understand that when I say it's okay, I don't mean, oh, just ignore it. Like, oh, just be happy, you know, but no, that's going to be okay in the sense that the sun will rise tomorrow. You know, there are people that that support you and want you to be the best human you can be. And if you fail or if you fall, you know, there will always be a shoulder to cry on. And I don't know, now that I say that, I almost feel like, well, I, I know personally that sometimes they're not right. But. You can still find some sort of refuge in the idea that while you might be alone in a room, very sad one day, thinking, oh my God, like I bombed this test. I failed this class. My girlfriend broke up with me. <laughs> um, my dog died. My mom died. This or that. You know, there's someone on the other side of the globe feeling the exact same thing you feel. Right. And you don't know them. You may never meet them. You probably won't. But what you're experiencing right now is nothing new, right? And that doesn't mean that it's trivialized, but it means that what you're feeling is very human. And there's something very beautiful in that, you know, is that if people never made mistakes, if people never failed, we'd be robots. We'd be, we'd be computers that just pumped out information and pumped out calculations w without full agency and understanding of what we're doing but the fact that we do cry and we do break down and we do you know worry about seemingly benign things you know like like we've created this entire like we've created the problems that we ha try to solve you know like we've we have created a a a government that is unfair we've created <laughs> so many of these institutions that we are now trying to fix which seems insane but the fact that that, that happens is is a human experience and there's something innately beautiful 
about this experience. And you might say, Logan, that's bullshit. I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> like I I don't wanna I, I don't wanna go on. Like this is exhausting. And I know. But I can tell you the proof is in the pudding, right? Of, of why it's beautiful is is we have come so far. <laughs> we have come so far in such a little amount of time. You know, not is what Kennedy said, not because it is easy, but because it is hard, right? We we do this because a like what what other option do we have besides moving forward? But b is that you can create something good for someone else. Like my my 4-year-old sister does not fully understand the current pandemic that we're in. She doesn't fully understand the atrocities that the Trump administration has has put on the country and the world and she does not fully understand climate change. Uh and we got back from the beach the other day after being down there for a week. And we were sitting on the beach and she asked me to go play in the waves with her. And we were jumping in the waves and she has no idea that in 30, 50 years, that beach will no longer exist. It will be underwater. And by that, she will not be able to go with her kids to the beach and jump in the waves. Oh my. (laughs) If you don't find any solace instruction or any validity in anything that you do individually you know it seems tough right now is you should do it for someone else who you know if if they can find happiness be the light in their life i never thought about it like that that got deep yeah (laughs) it did get i have a quote from elijah cummings who is a he was a house representative for the district representing Baltimore who died, I think, last year. And he said, children are the living messengers we are sending to a future we will never see. And part of me says, well, <laughs> Logan, <laughs> you say this and you're 18. You know, you are the children. <laughs> you are You are the one who's supposed to, like you, you as in like you young people. Are, are the ones that are supposed to, to change. You're supposed to the ones that are supposed to fix everything that is wrong in the world because the clock is ticking. But somehow it doesn't seem to be enough. And I'm not sure if it will be or not, but you, I mean, you've got to try. Yeah. Right. And it might never be enough, but we'll get better. That's the hope. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eight Voices Today. Stay tuned for more episodes to this series every Sunday and Wednesday. Remember to follow us on Instagram at The Breakout Room Podcast for even more content and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy our podcast. It really helps us out. Thank you. Bye.